you're not normally with us, um, we have a praise team ministry uh, that involves over 40 people. On any given Sunday, you'll see um, a worship leader. Uh, Brother Corey is one of our deacons, but he is also one of our worship leaders. Um, we have uh, four or five, maybe six uh, people that lead worship, uh, lead our teams on any given Sunday. And so we are so blessed to be able to have folks uh, that are just able to step in and, and just, you know, roll with things and, um, and uh, you know, be able to be able to respond when we have to call those audibles and on days like this. And I'm so thankful for uh, uh, that team for leading us this morning. If you're normally with us, you would know that uh, we have been since January in and out of the book of Ephesians. We hit Ephesians pretty hard, Ephesians 1 through 3, uh, until we got to the summer and then we started uh, Ephesians 4. And I told you that throughout the summer there will be some Sundays when we're in Ephesians 4, some Sundays when we're out of Ephesians 4. I had originally planned to be back in Ephesians 4 this morning, uh, but this week with everything going on as I prayed through and searched through Scripture, God really drew my heart to, uh, to a chapter in Scripture, and I, I want to I draw your attention to it. It's in Psalm uh, chapter 29, uh, and so that's going to be our, our, our main text is Psalm uh, chapter 29, but also I'm going to draw your attention to another chapter in God's Word, and it's uh, towards the end of God's Word. It's in Revelation 4. And so uh, we Revelation 4, that those passages will not be on the board, so if you want to see those, if you're visual like I am, you may just want to mark that in your Bible, and when we get to that part, you can flip it over. But we're going to look in Psalm 29, and we'll be in also Revelation 4, and then we will also look at a passage from Isaiah, but that will be on the board when we get there. Now, a few weeks ago, we celebrated Mother's Day, and last week we celebrated Memorial Day, and here in a few weeks, we're going to have Father's Day, and so each one of those days is an important day to, uh, to all of us because uh, they are reflective and they remind us uh, of people that are very special and important to us. We think about our, our moms and our dads and we think about the people who have died, you know, people that have died that we love and, and we think about people who have died bringing freedom to our nation. Those Even people that we don't even really know who they are, those people are special and important people to me, okay? And so we think about those days, they're set aside because they remind us of special and important people. But in Psalm 29, King David uh, commemorates a day and it's not, it's not a Mother's Day, it's not a Father's Day, it's not really a Memorial Day the way that we would think of it, it's not Labor Day. Uh, you know, he commemorates a day that is really the day of a storm. He commemorates a day uh, of, a, of a storm because in this storm, it reminds him, the storm reminds him of someone and something very important to him. And that someone and that something is the Lord our God. And so each one of the, uh, the 11 verses in Psalm 29, in, in 11 verses, uh, the name of God, which is 
if you have a Holman translation, some, of, some modern translations actually just use the word. The word is Yahweh. Most translations of God's word say the Lord. And so it just depends, but Yahweh and the Lord means exactly the same thing, okay? The name Yahweh that we would say in English is the Lord is used 18 times in 11 verses. Everything in this chapter, everything in Psalm 29 is all about God. And as we study these these verses here together, we're going to see a lot of descriptions of God, a lot of details about God. But I've, I've categorized these details into three categories that will describe for us who God is and what God is. So let's read this together and take a look at who God is in Psalm 29, starting in verse 1. We'll read to the end of the chapter. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above vast waters. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. In His temples all cry, Glory! And the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. The Lord sits enthroned king forever. The Lord gives His people strength and the Lord blesses His people with peace. Father, it is my prayer here this morning that as we study Your Word that we will receive words of comfort, God, but we would also receive words of challenge. And Father, as we understand more about who You are, God, and what it is that You deserve from us. And Father, what it is that You want from us. Father, my prayer is that we would be conformed, Father, and shaped into Your likeness, God. You would use this to, uh, to glorify Yourself as You work in power in our lives. And may we submit ourselves to You in this, this time here together. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see these three categories. We're talking about who or what the Lord is. The first thing that we see here is that the Lord is praiseworthy. The Lord is praiseworthy. It says, uh, verses 1 and 2 say, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name and worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. And so uh, we, we look at this, uh, th this passage and one of the things that, that, that stands out to us and stood out to me is this term heavenly beings. In verse 1, ascribe to the Lord or give to the Lord uh, you heavenly beings. Um, some of your translations, if you have, for example, a King James translation, it may say mighty ones. And so it may say ascribe to the Lord 
all ye mighty ones, or all ye mighty. And the phrase here literally, if you look at the phrase, literally in the Hebrew, okay, and this is really where we always have to go if we, you know, because language changes, okay, as far as English language changes. But the Hebrew language, the language that was written in, that gives us the original context. Uh, but it really doesn't help us when we look in the Hebrew. It kind of confuses us a little bit more because if you look at the Hebrew, the Hebrew translation of this, of this phrase, it is uh, sons, like little s, sons of God. And so, uh, so in the Hebrew, he's saying, ascribe to the Lord you sons, little s, sons of God. Now, I know that Jesus is the son, capital S, son of God, but the question is, who are the sons of God? Well, some say that the sons of God or the mighty ones are uh, that that's referring to the angels in heaven. Uh, they would say that David, these people that believe that, that this, this mighty ones, these sons of God are the angels, and that's who David is talking to, they would say that David is calling on the angels in heaven to praise the name of God because nothing on this earth could adequately reflect to God the glory that He deserves. There is nothing here on this earth that could ever come close to giving God the glory that He deserves. And so, so some folks would say, so David is calling upon the angels because a heavenly praise, a praise that comes out of the heavenly realms is the only thing that could come close and so, in, in, other war, in other words, as he prays for God's glory, and he is saying this maybe to the angels, if he's talking to the angels, he is, uh, one, one way or the other, he's saying, I want God to be as glorified as he possibly can. And so, we see that, 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 that God is praiseworthy. He is praiseworthy. Now, now, this idea of David maybe possibly uh, talking about the angels and crying out, praying for the angels to praise God, if this is the case, this could make sense because David is recalling uh, the power of a violent storm. He is recalling, he is reflecting on the power of a storm with, with winds. He talks about thunder and he talks about lightning. He talks about powerful flood waters. All of these things that, that uh, when we are faced with and when we are in the middle of, they tend to remind us how, uh, how powerless we really are. And, and we are reminded of how powerful God is. And when we're faced with those things, uh, we, uh, any, any right-thinking person should be overwhelmed with a sense of reverence for the power of God. And so... So that's very possible. He, he, he could be talking to or, or about the angels. Now this would also be consistent with a passage in Revelations 4. I want you to see this. This is interesting. Revelation chapter 4. Uh, I want to draw your attention specifically to verse 6 and uh, through verse 11. I'll just kind of skip a little bit uh, here in Revelations 4. This is the, uh, this is the vision of heaven. Um, John describes this vision of heaven. Now let's look at verse 6. He says, In the front of the throne, so he's, he's face to face with the throne of God, in the front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal in the center, and around the th throne were four living beings. Verse 8, 
each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is still to come. And then verse 9 says, Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne and the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne of God and say, You are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things and they exist because You created what You pleased. So it is very possible that when David is is saying, ascribe to the Lord, give glory to the Lord, you heavenly beings, it's very possible that he is praying for the angels to glorify God in heaven because we see the living creatures, which we believe are, uh, are, are, are angelic beings who are worshiping God. That is what they do in heaven, crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God all. Mighty. And so, so maybe David was praying for God to be glorified in the highest way uh, by asking the angels uh, to, uh, to ascribe and to give glory to him. But others say that when David talks about these sons of God, and particularly they, the, these folks will key in on the King James translation of uh, the mighty ones, or ye, are, are, are all ye mighty, um, they would say that, that maybe God and maybe David is not necessarily talking about the angels, but maybe he's talking about people on earth and mighty people on earth, people who have power and influence, and whether they realize it or not, you know, whether they think of themselves this way or not, they are seen as leaders on earth. They are looked to for advice because they have celebrity or they have political power or they have fortune or whatever it might be and so so when when David is telling them to worship the Lord and ascribe to him or give to him the glory that he deserves that, that the point that he is making to them is he's kind of saying to them hey all you big shots you know hey all you people that think you know uh, you, you just think that you're all that listen you you got to understand you you can't get caught up in your hype you can't get caught up in in all of the uh, all of the craziness, you you need to start to learn to worship God. You need to worship God. Stop worshiping this world. Stop worshiping yourself. Begin worshiping God because He is the one who is deserving of the worship. He is the one that is deserving of the praise. And so, uh, so we understand here that whether God, and whether I keep saying God, but whether David is talking about, uh, in, about the angels when he calls them uh, mighty ones or sons of God, uh, whether he's talking about the angels or what he, whether he's talking about those on earth who, uh, uh, who are seen as mighty, he is calling for God to be praised because he is praiseworthy. You know, someone asked me the other day if I thought that the floods that, you know, that this part of uh, our country is receiving, you know, in Kansas and Oklahoma and now in Arkansas. Someone asked me the other day if I thought that 
that this was um, God's way of letting us know that he's fed up with what's going on in our country. Now, I don't necessarily think that God sent floodwaters as a form of judgment for our community or on our nation. I don't know that he hasn't. We have not had that conversation, okay? He's not shared that with me. If that's what he did, he did not share that with me or has not shared that with me yet. I don't know, but here's what I I do know, that any time things like this happen, no matter what the cause, no matter where they came from, no matter how they got here, any time these things happen, we should be reminded of the power of the God that we serve. If He, Listen, if God chose to do so, if He really wanted to, He could sweep us all away just like that. I mean, He is a powerful God. Thunderstorms, tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, floods, all these natural disasters, earthquakes, these things that happen that are uncontrollable. The insurance, uh, insurance companies call these things acts of God because they are things that could not be controlled. All these things remind us of how small and powerless we are. And, and, and they should cause us to turn our attention to the One who holds us in His hands because the Lord is praiseworthy. He is praiseworthy. The second thing we see is that He's powerful. Now, verses 3 through 10, this is, there's a lot here, and I'm going I'm to read some of this, but I want to draw your attention first to verse 3. It says, The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above the vast water. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. In verse 10 it says, The, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood, and He sits enthroned as King forever. Through these these verses, verses 3 through 10, David uses two pictures to illustrate for us the power of God. This is, by the way, what the Hebrew writers and even even New Testament writers did because many of them were uh, were Jewish in heritage. But uh, when they wanted to describe something to you, they gave you a picture. They gave a picture to you because uh, it was the, the thing that would, the easiest uh, sort of way to convey those details. You know, Jesus uh, in the New Testament teaches a lot in parables, but in the Old Testament we don't see as many parables, but we see a lot of pictures that are reflective. And David uses two pictures to describe for us the power of God. The first picture is the, the picture of God's powerful voice. It says, um, it, it talks about God's voice in verses 3 through 9. And the powerful voice is compared to the power of a storm. Let's, let's kind of skip through here, but it says, The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. And now here he goes, The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. He shatters even the cedars of Lebanon. Uh, It says the voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. And the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. It shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes a deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. The voice of the Lord in this passage is compared to as lightning and thunder. Okay, We, We think about hearing God's voice. You know, we don't always think about it as hearing it in the form of thunder and lightning, do we? 
The voice of the Lord is powerful like thunder and lightning. Listen, that is not the hippity-dippity, tree-hugging, you know, everybody hold hands and your truth is my truth and their truth and everybody has a truth, truth God that we see in our culture today. This is, in Psalm 29, this is an almighty God, a powerful God, a, a God who is, who is worthy of respect and honor and reverence. The, the power of God is displayed in His voice. It's illustrated when you look at the power of a storm. And it's, it's just amazing when you think about that. David is watching this horrible storm come in, and he sees all of these things. He sees the, 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 the power and the destructive capabilities that the storm has. He sees what the storm can do, and somewhere in there he's thinking, wow, that's, that's, that's how it is, and that's what it's like when I talk to God, right? Because God is powerful, you see, uh, the power of God is illustrated by the power of a storm, but it's also illustrated um, in the picture of God's throne. The picture of God's throne. I want, want you to see something else in Revelation 4, okay? So uh, back to Revelation 4. You probably thought we were done, but we're not. Uh, but we will be done with it after this, though. But Revelation 4, I want you to see something, particularly in verses 2 through 5. Uh, if you look at Revelation 4, verse 2, it said, John says, he says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on the throne. And he goes on to describe that some more, but in verse 5, look what it says. Look what it says. What comes from the throne of God? What is around the throne of God that John sees? It's lightning. And thunder. You see, flashes of lightning, verse 5, and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne, and seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. You, you know, sometimes when you hear thunder and you see lightning, people begin to imagine the worst. I, I remember I went to a to a gathering in Memphis, Tennessee in 2000. It was called One Day. It was a gathering of people of my generation gathering from all 50 states and different countries around the world. And we gathered in a field at Shelby Farms. And, and it was really just the whole point of being there was to seek the face of God. We, got to, we had to worship God. We got to hear some amazing speakers and communicators that challenged us in our faith and encouraged us to grow. And, and uh, it was, a, I think, a three-day type of uh, outdoor festival kind of thing. And, and uh, it was an amazing, an amazing event. But there was one particular day where it just stormed. I mean, it just, it, the sky fell out. Now, some people like me, you know, uh, us city folks, we were going back to the hotel. You know, we, 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 we just stayed at the hotel. But there were some other people that were like, hey, I'm going out to the field. I'm, I'm taking my, my tent. I'm going to camp. There was this whole city just almost of tents. I mean, just everywhere. And they just got pummeled by the rain. Thunder and lightning and, and all these things. And everybody that next morning came crawling out of their tent. You know, some of them slept, you know. Thunder and lightning doesn't bother me. I can sleep 
in a storm in, in a tent, okay, as long as I'm not you know, getting water on me. Uh, but, uh, but man, they were, some of you could tell they were so afraid, so they were kind of jittery, they were cold, they were, you know, scared. And, and uh, one of the worship leaders, uh, you know, mentioned, hey, the thunder and the lightning, and said, hey, let me, let me let you listen to, I want you to hear this passage that I came across here uh, this morning in, in my reading, and it was Revelation 4, 5, that talks about the lightning and the thunder that come from the throne of God. And, 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 and the worship leader said, hey, you know, maybe, just maybe, all the thunder and lightning, it wasn't to make us afraid. It was to let us know that God is here, okay? God is powerful. And when he shows up, he shows up in power. That's because why he's praiseworthy, you know, a lot of people think, you know, well, what, what, what should I do? What's God trying to tell me? Sometimes he's just letting you know that he's here. He's a God who speaks with power and he speaks with authority. And listen, when you're confronted with power and authority in that way, when you're confronted with that, uh, you can't help but to cry out to God. Say glory to God. You cannot help but, but to want to worship him, want to fall at his feet, want to, be, want to submit to his leadership. I mean, uh, you know, he shows up and when I think about the power of God, I'm overwhelmed and I'm reminded of how powerless that I really am. And so, so we're reminded here that, that, that God is powerful. There's another thing um, in that same verse in, in Revelation 4, 5 that talks about the seven lampstands that represent the seven spirits. Now, now, see, again, I know who the Son of God is, but now who are the sons of God? So we talked about that, but, but in Revelation, it doesn't talk about the Spirit of God. It talks about the spirits of God. Well, who are the spirits of God? And so there are a lot of people, again, have a lot of, there's a lot of theories. You get in the book of Revelation, there are a jillion theories about every little verse, okay? Uh, but as I did some research in this, uh, I was drawn to a passage in Isaiah 11 that I think really explains to us um, really who these seven spirits or what these seven spirits might be. Let me, let me read to you Isaiah 11:2. Uh, Isaiah 11:2 is a prophecy about Jesus and a prophecy about the Messiah, you know, who's going to be a descendant of David. Remember David, he's the one that wrote Psalm 29. So we're all pretty connected here. But Psalm 11:2, I mean Isaiah 11:2 says this. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge, and a spirit of fear, of the fear of the Lord. And so I think that seven lampstands in Revelation 4 represent the Holy Spirit that anointed Jesus and these six attributes that the Holy Spirit brought to Jesus in his ministry. And, and, and so you say, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, here's the thing. When you are listening to the voice of God and when the Holy Spirit is leading in your life, when he's present in your life, the Holy Spirit's going to bring wisdom. He's going to bring understanding. He's going to bring wise counsel. He's going to bring strength and knowledge. And he is going to lead you into reverence for your God. And sometimes that wisdom and sometimes that understanding and that counsel and that strength, that knowledge and that reverence for God, some, sometimes that may even come in the midst of a powerful storm. Because God is powerful. When He speaks, He speaks 
with power. The Lord is praiseworthy. The Lord is powerful. And the third, third thing is that the Lord is promising. He's promising. Verse 11 says that the Lord gives His people strength and He blesses His people with peace. Now, when I say that the Lord is promising, I'm not talking about promising like the, uh, the adjective, you know? Like, hey, that, 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 that young athlete is promising. Like, they show some uh, potential to, to do something. Signs of, uh, of, of some future success. That's not the promising that we're talking about here in, uh, in Psalm 29. We're talking about promising as an action. As in, the, as in the fact that God is promising to do something for us. He is guaranteeing. He is securing something on our behalf. He is in the act of doing. He is promising these things to us. And so we see what God is promising. He is promising strength and He is promising peace. See, the power of God is illustrated in the picture of God's throne. But if you read verse 9, where is the throne of God? Well, He's above the storm. Remember, God's power is illustrated in, in, in the storm, and then it's illustrated in God's throne, which is above the water. He is above the storm. He is above the flood. He, is, he, he, is, uh, he sits enthroned above all of it. In other words, God is powerful. And, and David says, kind of like this storm out here, and look at all the things that it can do. Look at all the power. And that, in, 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 in this way, in that way, you know, we can see, you know, it, it illustrates for us different things about God. But then David sort of brings it in and says, but God is even more powerful than the storm that illustrates for us when we, when we find ourselves in, in an actual storm of life, whether it be a physical storm, a literal storm, like we, uh, like, like we have experienced in the past, or literal floods, or we are in, in the middle of some sort of spiritual or emotional storm, we can understand and we can know that we serve a God that is more powerful than those things. And not only that, but Scripture tells us here in Psalm 29 that He sits enthroned as King Eternal. So, so no matter what happens, He is above the storm. He is God before the storm. He's God during the storm. He's going to be God after the storm. He is more powerful than that. And we can trust Him. We can lean on Him. He promises strength for us. He promises strength and He promises peace. When the, when the midst of the winds and all the craziness, we can lean on Him for strength. And when the storm is over and the water recedes and damage is being cleaned up, that there is a peace that comes from knowing that we are trusting in God. But the last thing I want you to notice here is not just the promises of God, but I want you to notice who those promises are made to. Because they're not made to all humanity. They're not made to Americans. They're, they're, they're not made to people of a certain denomination. Who they're made to are the Lord's people. It says He does this for His people. The Lord gives His people strength. And the Lord blesses His people with peace. You see... If you're not one of God's people, 
then you don't have a, that promise. That's not for you. I mean, it is for you. It could be for you. But it's not for you right now because you're not God's people. Scripture tells us that, 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 that God loves us. God loves us, friends. Uh, it tells us that, that, that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. Jesus, the same Jesus who is in heaven right now, and the angels and the, and the, 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 the living creatures and the, uh, the 24 elders that are crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and Lord, you are worthy of all honor and praise and glory forever. That same Jesus that sits enthroned in heaven today is the Jesus that came down to this earth and died for your sins. He became your Messiah. Scripture teaches us that if you will repent of your sins, if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and Christ alone for eternal life, that you can be saved. And maybe this morning you need to make a commitment to Christ. Maybe it's time for you to put your faith in Jesus. But, but maybe, I know we got a, a, a crowd here, and we got a lot of believers in this crowd here this morning. Maybe some of us need to spend more time worshiping God. Maybe some of us need to spend more time seeking His face and finding strength in Him. Maybe it's time that we seek His face today. See, He is praiseworthy. The Lord is powerful. And the Lord is promising. And you can trust Him. Let's pray.